Welcome to Q Talks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. This episode was sponsored by DesignSpark, design tools and resources for engineers to help make their ideas happen. I'm Thomas. And I'm Freya, and we are your hosts for QTalks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not so typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. This week on QTalks, we are talking to Pierre Farr. Pierre was a member of the very first QTech committee and is now founder of Blockmetry, a web analytics platform for data protection. We're really excited to hear from Pierre about data governance and how young startups can ensure they stay safe, increase their success and build their reputation in an increasingly digital world. Hi, Pierre. Hello. Good to have you here. Thank you for having me. So who are you and why are you here? Uh, <laughs> so uh, who am I? Uh, I am a consultant. I help people make better websites. I also are a, I'm a founder of a suite of products that are to do with um, data collection on the internet in a privacy conscious way. Mm. You might have heard of things called the GDPR and uh, there are lots of other laws similar to it around the world. And the idea was to build uh, products that cater to the consumer needs for privacy, but also balance with the business needs for uh, getting this kind of data. Nice. And what's your background? My background is very mixed. Uh, I have a PhD in bacterial genetics. I am a self-taught programmer. I worked in product management. I worked in community management. I worked in engineering. And before I was consulting, I was at Google in search engineering and also a product management in ads. Whoa. <laughs> An illustrious career. Mixed. Mixed. <laughs> nice. So, Pierre, what are some of the key challenges that you've seen related to digital safety, particularly for startups? But you've said that you've got such a broad range of experience. So it'd be interested to see what, um, what different experiences you've had with digital safety. Safety is a bit of an overloaded term. And depending on which industry you're in, it can mean different things. So... Um, Just to give you some examples, one, it could be about, for example, on a consumer level, it could be about not getting hacked, keeping your data safe, your credit card numbers safe, that kind of thing. Uh, from a business, on a business point of view, similar to that is if you do process, uh, you know, customer data, you don't want to get hacked. You don't want to get ransomware, things like that. Uh, there's another kind of safety, which is more about brand and intellectual property, uh, where you say, As a business, my uh, intellectual property, whether it's you know in inventions that you want to patent or whether it's a brand that you want to protect, that you know you want to protect that, and that also can be considered as part of safety. So it really is a general term, and uh, the question to you is, what do you mean by it? Mm. So I mean, given given your varied experiences in the digital space, I mean, what do you see as some of the key challenges? maybe consumers, but also companies' experience in kind of the safety space? Uh, on a consumer level, I would say two things. One is that consumers are uh, notoriously bad at operating online. 
And, you know, you get the stories about everybody getting hacked, they get viruses, they get ransomware uh, on personal computers. So that would be an, my number one for consumers is that they, it's really easy to fall uh, afoul of something malicious on the Internet. Mm -hmm. a, a secondary one that, well, people, other people consider it secondary, I consider it equally important, is that uh, consumers don't know how to manage their digital footprint. So... Uh, by sharing lots of data on social media, on forums, by just be, uh, ad companies profiling them, you are leaving uh, a big trace on the internet about who you are, what you believe in, what you care about, that can be used for malicious or some people consider it not malicious, but I would consider it a little bit not entirely pure as why uh, purely white, which is ad targeting. And you get, uh, you know, in the extreme case, you get things like Cambridge Analytica come in, where you have one company that was able to collect a lot of data about you, profile you, and then use that, uh, well, offer that to advertisers to target you based on their perceived, uh, your perceived interest in the messages they have and potentially uh, affect elections and, you know, frankly, democracy. Mm -hmm. So there, that, that, this, this is on the consumer side. Uh, on the business side, anytime you touch personal data, and personal data is actually defined in law to be a very, very broad term, uh, you have to treat it with the respect that it requires, with the security that it requires. And the security requirements are actually also enshrined in law. And so... Um, and here, businesses are taking a very risk-based approach where they say, I will protect this data proportion to what the data is. And if the data gets, uh, you know, broken into, it gets stolen, what are the implications for me as a business? Mm -hmm. um, this is a very mature way of doing uh, um, uh, data protection and uh, security on the internet. Uh, a lot of other businesses don't. They use it as a tick box exercise. Like, what's the minimum we can do to be considered safe or, you know, privacy compliant or whatever it is they care about. And so, uh, from a business point of view, I would say that you need to take a step back and take stock about what you're actually doing and why, and then understand how you're doing that and what mechanisms you have in place to protect that, whether on a technical level, like encryption at rest, you know, or also business processes, access controls, and all of that. Um, so that's the business side of safety. Mm -hmm. So is the, um, is the largest aspect of digital safety for a company the personal data of their of their customers or the data that they're that they're collecting it's all of it it's 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 easy it, well it makes it easier for you to reason about the different types of data by saying this is customer data but also a business of, of a reasonable size will have hr data so it'll have employee data potentially you will have you know if somebody needs a, has a disability or something then you're getting into really extreme uh, uh, sensitive data uh, depending on the business, uh, you might uh, you might be a retailer, but if you target, for example, uh, uh, you know, uh, pregnant women, so suddenly you're talking about the pregnancy and the medical, uh, uh, you know, aspects of the stuff that you sell. So if you have like a loyalty scheme there, mm -hmm. then the data you're talking about is not just customer data. This is what's happening, you know, on, on uh, you know, uh, to, to people's bodies, which is, you know, on a medical level. Um, so it, it really is about 
some people consider it a boring exercise, but it's very, very important and eye-opening. Sit down and literally think about every single thing that you touch and what data you collect, whether uh, directly or indirectly because of that activity you have as a business. And maybe to illustrate, can you give us an example? Because I'm sure that some people aren't actually aware of how much data they create either explicitly or maybe implicitly. Yeah, so let's take something actually quite boring. It's, it's in my part of the, you know, it's something I care about, but it's, a, it's an interesting example to look at. So most websites will operate some kind of analytics, mm -hmm. uh, 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 pla or, or, you know, some kind of service that they use to tell them how, you know, how their website is doing. Yeah. Now, At face value, that doesn't sound like it's actually quite egregious. It's, you know, you want to know how many users you have. Uh, the GDPR and the privacy directive, you know, it's also under review, but also similar laws around the, inter around the world, they are looking at that and saying, well, actually, when you identify a user indirectly with a pseudonymous uh, identifier, which in the, in the case of analytics would be a cookie, it's some kind of identifier, it doesn't matter what it is, then you know, you actually have uh, more to do because you're tracking users. And so this is why we get all of these quick and send uh, screens on the internet right now. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in courts and also from the regulators around us. But that is, you know, to some degree, somewhat okay, yeah? But take, for example, the same exact scenario, but imagine you are a charity that is a medical charity. Say you help people with heart attacks mm -hmm. or people who are, um, they need mental, uh, you know, health care. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so any kind of psychological support, any, any therapy. Suddenly this user identifier that you have is not just tracking users, you're actually building a profile inadvertently about what's the medical condition that they have. So if you are a website that helps people with any kind of heart problem or any kind of mental disease, any kind of mental illness, uh, you'll have multiple sections on the website targeted for each kind of condition that you help with. But by monitoring which users go to which section, you know that this person uh, you know, has a heart attack or this person you know, has you know, this kind of mental illness. Or oh, at, at the very least is interested in this topic. Uh, yeah, and, and, and is interested. And then suddenly, you know, that's, that's actually getting on dangerous grounds anyway, because you're building a profile that's about sensitive information about this person. And it doesn't take a lot for that person to tell you their name. They could sign up to a mailing list. They could call you and say, hi, you know, I'm Pierre. I saw on your website, you know, and it doesn't take much to analyze who did that. Mm -hmm. You know, and suddenly you may be able to assign a real world identity to that anonymous, pseudonymous identifier online. And you've built a profile for them without doing much. Mm -hmm. You know, you just did the standard setup. And what are the ramifications of that? It could be any number of things. So depending on the... Depending on how the data is used is actually the ramifications. The first thing, you know, let's assume that it's actually secured, mm -hmm. okay? Like, you know, if it gets breached, that's a big problem. For example, um, if somebody who signed up and, you know, your server got hacked and suddenly everybody has access, so, you know, the, the attackers have access to the user profiles, you know, suddenly you know that Pierre, whose email address is this, 
you know, uh, you know, is interested in that medical condition, mm -hmm. which may or may not be something, you know, somebody would want to publicize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, now, but assuming that's not the case, is like how you use that data is important. Some analytics providers would allow, allow you by literally taking a box and, you know, cross your heart and hope to die, you put this in your privacy policy that everybody reads, that you will use that data to target ads on them. Mm -hmm. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, mm -hmm. suddenly we're not talking purely about understanding how the website operates. You're building profiles and using those profiles to do something else. And so from a security and safety point of view, uh, you know, you have a lot more work to do to make sure that what you're doing is expected and acceptable by your customers. Mm -hmm. So building up this, uh, this sort of profile of the different customers that you might have, that will obviously grow with the as the company grows. So how can... If we're thinking about a startup, let's stay in the sort of healthcare space, say a startup that deals with um, maybe personalized data in healthcare, whatever it might be, um, if, as they're just starting out compared to then scaling up the company, getting more customers on board, how can they be flexible with how they manage the data and protection? That's a very good question. And the way you phrased it actually makes only one answer to be the correct one. Um, uh, you've talked about a startup that is in healthcare. Now, the first thing that people will have, like the, the patients, and also equally potentially the doctors that interact with the startup, is that, do we trust this thing? Yeah? I mean, you're going to have, you know, as a startup, you, sta you start like 10 on the back foot. People don't know who you are. They don't know if you're trustworthy. They don't know anything about you. And so... When you say, you know, how can they manage that? I would say this should be front and center as day one, something they need to be thinking about and putting in place. Because if they, if there's anything about this startup and how it operates and how it is, uh, how it is perceived by the people that it needs to talk to, whether it's patients or support uh, uh, providers, or for example, the doctors and equally regulators, frankly, mm -hmm. yeah. If there's anything about them that is not, clear and that they are not trustworthy, this startup is going to have a hard time succeeding. So uh, the way you phrased it, is it means that really that startup should be taking the you know, data security and the privacy and all of these other implications really, really seriously from day one. And what, what, what would that mean then in, in practice? Say you're a team of three and you're starting a business in that space. Mm -hmm. What should you consider right away and perhaps do right away. Yes, I mean, it depends on what you're actually doing. Mm -hmm. And so the first question is like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people fall into a trap where they say, oh, we'll just collect all the data we can. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll need it in the future. Um, collecting, over collecting data like that is probably not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know why you're collecting that data and you're not using it, it is frankly a liability. Mm -hmm. Because people, you know, people like to think, you know, data is the new oil and that's, you know, the buzzword people use. I, I like to think of it as like a radioactive nuclear waste. You don't want to touch it. If you, you don't want to have it in your storage. If you don't need that data, don't collect it. And as a startup, I understand completely that there's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of uncertainty. So there is a, 
a temptation to overcollect early on to see what's going to work. You know, as as, you, as startups try to, try to do product market fit, they keep searching for a business model. You know, what's the right product? I I understand that there's a temptation to do that, but if you are going to do that as a startup, you need to understand that you are actually doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah and have in place a regular review or somehow to go back and say, yeah, we did collect all of that data. It turned out not to be useful for us. And, you know, just like nuclear waste, we're going to find a big hole and bury it, you know, for the next 100 years. That's it. Done. Delete it. Okay? And securely delete it, not just like hit delete on your on your keyboard. Yeah? Um, the other thing is that, you know, so we've talked about, like, uh, what and why, and then you start talking about the how. How are you collecting that data? How are you securing access to that data? Um, many, many websites, and they're, they're always in the news every few months, somebody somewhere puts all of their data in some cloud storage platform mm-hmm. like Amazon S3, and they don't secure that S3 storage, and then some reporter or some attacker or some you know uh, security researcher finds it, uh, and believe me, it's easier to find if you know how to use Google, you know, you find it, and suddenly you have the data for you know a few hundred thousand, a few million people. And if you're in healthcare, you have what's wrong with these people, and you know uh, their condition, the history potentially, their names, potentially their addresses. You have a lot of toxic data on your hands that just got released. So again, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And how are you doing it? Will will actually tell you what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, founders for startups don't necessarily know how to go about implementing these sort of safety procedures. So how um, how can founders educate themselves and do it? Because like you're saying, their customers' data is the most valuable thing that they have potentially. Um, so it is necessary to get it right from the start. I, I am very opinionated about this question. It's a very good question, actually. Um, if you don't know what you're doing, don't do it. <laughs> like uh, you're in the wrong industry if you don't know how to handle this kind of data. So this 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 goes back to like what are you doing and why. Um, it's very easy to have. It's 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 quite human nature to have to be overconfident about your abilities. I would urge caution and say maybe you shouldn't be doing that or realize that this is beyond your abilities and try to find somebody who knows what they're doing and how to secure this kind of data and bring them on board. Mm. I mean, on, on that point, just to follow up maybe, I, I suppose that, that topic and a lot of other topics, there's a, a bit of a trade-off for all the startups. I mean, you can include digital safety, you can include the legal position, you can include accounting and tax things. I mean, if most startups, they start in a kind of space of uncertainty and they don't know everything and they probably do a lot of mistakes. Um, so what would be your advice on kind of getting started and at what point? I mean, ideally from the very beginning, but realistically, that's rarely happening, I suppose. Um, I, I, I take your point. I mean, as I said, I was very impregnated about this question. Sure. Um, the word, I mean, the, the thing that you're talking about, which is, you know, it's it's a good approach, is to actually take a, you know, what's your risk position, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I mean, for example, let's take, let, let's let's go off, uh, of course, just a little bit, just to illustrate, mm-hmm. if you don't patent immediately, mm-hmm. that's you are taking a risk that somebody somewhere can come along and patent something, and you know, it's game over for you, potentially, yeah. Uh, so the, you know, but you could say more likely than not, what's going to kill me as a business 
is not somebody patenting it is that is this even a commercially viable idea mm-hmm. so you might willing you might be willing to take a risk of not patenting it from day one mm-hmm. okay now to go back to data and you know you know the what the product that you're building the question then becomes is that what is my risk profile uh, you know what's my posture for this and if uh, if i get hacked or if somebody finds out and it ends up a headline on a major newspaper, is that going to be the end of me or not? Mm-hmm. In the first few weeks of a company's existence, probably not, because there are other things that are going to kill you, much more, much more likely to kill you. Mm-hmm. But my point is that the point where the data becomes too much of a liability, unless you're treating it well, is sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And so it may not be day one, and you know, but you need, you know, you still need to have, you know, like you can't play, you know, you can't be silly about it. You have mm-hmm. to do something and protect it, proportionate to what you're doing. But it would be, it would be a, a, the point where you actually have to do this properly, you know, and get experts in if need be, is actually sooner rather than sooner than most people think. All right. So let let's suppose you have some valuable data and you have an awareness that this is important. What can you then do to protect it if you're a startup and you don't have unlimited resources? What would be your top top tips? Uh, I would do three things, actually. Well, uh, two in two parts. Uh, so the first thing is that I would think seriously about encryption at rest so that if the data gets, you know, if, if there is a breach, that at least the data is not readable. So I would think seriously about that. Related to this is that access controls, whether internal... Uh, employees, okay, and also uh, the consumer. So potentially, the consumer should be the only one who is able to access their data. Mm-hmm. Maybe their doctor, if there's a or care provider, if if that's the kind of model that you're going for. So the access controls is that who has access to that data, why do they have access to that data, and how can we monitor that to make sure that only the people who are allowed to access are actually accessing and it is not you know, some disgruntled employee that manages to download the whole database decrypt it on their laptop and then release it to the public mm-hmm. or to hackers and get lots of money out of it because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> that would kill the business mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so yeah that's what i would think about like you know the, the the buzzword for this is data governance you know and there's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, help online but realistically, all of that governance is that what is your data that you're collecting and, you know, what is what what would be the implications of it be, be, when if there is a breach and mm-hmm. it's no longer in, within your control. Yeah. And you have to be you have to do something proportionate to that. Mm-hmm. I have a slightly separate question to this. Um, and it's a sort of open question. But I was wondering, do you often find founders or startups using using their customers' data as a leveraging point for uh, investors or as a way of benchmarking their startup in terms of success. So saying that we have 10,000 people signed up on our platform and this many have uh, agreed sort of confidentiality or signed over these pieces of information. And how, like, do you you think that that's a good way for um, startups to run? Potentially yes, potentially no. So let 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 me say why. Uh, any startup needs to prove that the business that they're in is viable, mm. right? So you need some kind of metric, or pr- probably a suite of metrics, that say what we are doing is of value to a large number of people. That's our market, 
and we can extract financial value out of that. So we offer them something, they're willing to pay us money for it. That's basically what a business is, right? And so you need metrics around that. Now, if you are simply counting number of users and you're not monetizing them, then it, I would question the viability of the business just based on these metrics. But if you have metrics that say, we've signed up 10,000 people and we know that you know X percent of them actually end up being paying and the paying people have a lifetime value of you know Y number of pounds, then you know we can prove with these numbers whether this business is viable or not. Okay, so you need to understand the number of users you have signed up, the churn that they have, the lifetime value financially for the business, you know. And so when you think about it that way, then yes, you know, whether you as a business and an investor, and frankly, when you do this exercise, there's no difference between whether you're an investor or a founder, because you have to prove whether this business is viable or not, whether you're the founder or you're going to invest money in it. There's only so much you can do to prove that. Um, so... When you do that exercise, then yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. You need to have those kinds of metrics. Uh, but I would, if there's something in the data that says, uh, and this is a, this is a real life example actually, where um, imagine that to go back to healthcare because it's very easy to illustrate these things with an extreme example. Mm -hmm. If your consumers have disclosed to you their HIV status, mm -hmm. which happens by the way. Um, you need to be careful with that data because suddenly you have a name and an HIV status, right? And if it's positive or negative, you know, you know that's, that's, that's serious to know uh, with the breach. So you as a business, you may say, I would like to, my customers to disclose that because there's value for the, our business to actually know this, but not, but not just for us as a business to know it, but like there, there's value for the customer to disclose that to us. And so you may be wanting to track, you know, how many people have done that and why they wouldn't or why they would. You need to understand why, what motivates people to make them comfortable to share that data with you, which is very, very sensitive data, right? Mm. And so you would need to be super careful about how you collect that data, why you collect that data, who, who do you share the data with, uh, how do you secure it, and uh, don't get hacked or real uh, people or p researchers find you and you end up a headline on the BBC, mm. which has happened. And, and maybe to follow up on, on this, mm. because we have talked quite a bit about being breached and being hacked. Mm -hmm. So let's assume the worst case has happened and that has been the case. So you have been hacked and there has been a breach. What do you recommend to a startup or to any company or maybe even a consumer? What, what should they then do? It, there's one answer about what to not do and lots of answers about what to do. Mm -hmm. So what to not do, don't treat this as a PR exercise. Companies tend to sit for hire the most expensive PR and communications agency when that happens and try to paper it over. Uh, don't do that. Uh, what to do? depends on what data got breached, mm -hmm. okay? So if it is names and email addresses, that's one thing, it's still bad. But if it's names, email addresses, and HIV status, that's very bad. And what you do about this will be very different. And it'll also mean, it'll also have implications, uh, What, what, it'll be relevant how it got how you got breached, how much the data has spread outside your control. Is it downloadable from some dark internet site or not? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, do you know about that or not? How can you be sure either way? Um, 
and also like how the breach happened would be, might be relevant. Is it an employee who, you know, misused their privileges, access privileges, or is it a genuine hack through a bug that you didn't patch and why didn't you patch it? You know, there are lots of things that could be happening here that you need to understand. The first thing that you need to do is to get to the bottom of what actually happened, like really get to the bottom of it. Also, there are some uh, regulatory requirements about how fast you report a data breach. Mm -hmm. So be mindful of those two. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe to move beyond the kind of negative and, and, and dark cases, because obviously obviously there's a good reason why we are using the internet. And it's also a very powerful tool to build a presence and uh, kind of gain customers' attention and potentially gain customers. And because you're also consulting companies on how they can optimize maybe their digital presence and how, how they can optimize maybe their... Um, the way they can be found on the internet. What what are your experiences in this space, and what are your recommendations there? Uh, very good question. Um, the the one thing I would say that has happened is, is, is come and gone in waves. Lots of companies don't invest enough in their website, mm -hmm. and some people some companies have actually. Come out, come out and said, we will not have a website. They will not own a domain name. Yeah, mm -hmm. They will be just on Facebook or just on WeChat or just on Twitter or whatever it is. Yeah, um, I, I urge people to not do that. Mm -hmm. Okay? Actually have a presence. Have, have a plot of land that you operate on the internet. Okay? So that's the first thing that I would do. Uh, related to, to go back to where we started about, you know, the different kinds of safety or intellectual property is that if you've come up with a brand name that is actually very good, it's a business name, you need to own the domain name for that, okay? And that's the domain name, that's your website, right? And also equally, uh, you need to own the usernames on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and all of these other places that you care about. Um, so... I would like as a as a start is that you need to have you can do a lot to put your own uh, footprint online and actually make it good under your control, whether on a, on your website which you own and operate or on other platforms. So that that would be the first thing I would say is like at least have something, have some kind, even if it's a stub profile, have something there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that uh, you know Shrey asked about is that you know how do you go about marketing and all of that. As a startup, you you have identified a group of users that you think have a problem. So presumably, you know how to reach them because you've said there's a group of people that have a problem. So, you know, and so how you market to them is like, well, wh what do they care about? Where do they hang out? Whether it's online or whether it's in uh, you know offline, like in print or TV or something. Yeah, everybody's online these days, so that's you know, and it's, it's faster and cheaper to get started there, but you know, you need to take a broad view about where your customers are, go to where they are, make sure that they know you exist, because that's the biggest problem startups have, is that nobody knows that you, you're there, nobody cares even, yeah? And then once you start talking to your uh, customers and they start coming through the door, then you can start learning whether you, the problem is real and whether your proposed solution to that problem is real and how you need to modify that and iterate as you build the, your business. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? It's a very broad question. So, what sort of success stories have you 
have you seen from companies who actively go and approach customers or potential customers um, to in order to bring then more footfall to their website versus people that uh, build by build organically or by word of mouth? Uh, again, it depends on the what you're selling and the kind of customer. So, uh, to take very broad terms, whether if you're a B two C company, so you sell directly to consumers, your marketing strategy will be very different than a B two B business. Yeah, and increasingly you start seeing people are like we're B two B to C and whatever that means. Uh, um, like what you're what you're selling affects how you market it, right? Um, and so the success stories, like, I mean, there, there are plenty of success stories of marketing, you know, and, you know, how people have improved their website or they improved their presence or they've, they've come up with clever marketing campaigns. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are plenty of stories about those. And may, maybe to make it practical. Yeah. Um, so if you're a startup and you're starting out, uh, kind of what kind of budget should you allocate to kind of that space and, and how much effort does it take to build up a, a, a sizable presence in your opinion? So depends what sizable is and why you're building that way. It's Sometimes it's very easy to start marketing before you actually have a product that works. Mm -hmm. So I would say the initial marketing budget is zero. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is that you still don't know what you're going to sell actually is a good solution. Um, I would start with trying to understand the problem space that you're in, trying to understand the customer's problem and whether your product actually solves that problem for them. And uh, as you learn and you're building and improving the product, you will start seeing the kinds of messaging that resonate with the customers. Okay? So, and there are lots of stories about this where people have been building a website or building a product or a service or whatever it is, And they say, oh, we do this, this, this. And then they go back to their data and the customer research that they've done. And there's some other point that they've been completely ignoring is actually the thing that gets people really excited. And that becomes your marketing. That becomes your a product feature, whatever it needs to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it really is about understanding your customers. And when you start, you don't have customers. You don't have a, even a product to sell to anyone. So the marketing budget initially is actually your product development budget. Mm -hmm. Because if you build a good product, then you'll know how to market it later. Mm -hmm. It's been really interesting to chat about the sort of digital aspects of startups. Um, and so we have got a final question to end on, which is what is the most interesting trend shift that you've seen in your field during your career? P people, people have always fell into a trap and they continue to is that you build a website and that's a deliverable you see something on the screen you know we've done something here but um, the trend over the last 10 years 15 years you know even longer is that people are realizing that that, that the website itself is actually just a, a channel it's just a means to talk to customers and the real value is not in having a customer, it's actually having a very good offering, it's actually having a good brand, it's actually having, you know, uh, you know, we, you know, you're good custodians of data, you know, we are secure, you know, you're, you're seeing more and more websites are they're actually encrypted, you know, and that, that I think is important. It's, it's a bit slower than I'd imagine, but, you know, what I'd hope for actually, but it is happening as a trend where people are saying, we don't just want to build the house, we want to build 
you know, a great house. We want to build an experience. You know, we're not just a, a greasy spoon kind of restaurant. We're actually going to give you the right experience, go in and have a good meal, regardless of the price point that you're targeting as a, as, as, as a restaurant. You know, we're, you're going to enjoy your meal regardless of, you know, what whatever we're selling. And I think that's actually a trend that, you know, where, where, where marketing, you know, data security, branding, you know, intellectual property in general, it's actually coming together and people are thinking seriously about them as part of a one big package that this is me as I perceived by the world as opposed to here's my website and, you know, like it or not, bye. Interesting. Thank you so much, Pierre, for coming. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed that conversation with Pierre uh, because it highlighted a number of, of different areas which are, I think, very important, but perhaps sometimes overlooked, at least initially, uh, by, by many startups, I suppose. Uh, and the one point that really stuck with me was about the responsibility you have as a company for the data you're collecting. And so even though you're quite a young company, perhaps, and just starting out, to think very hard about this uh, is, is very important. And that, I think that was a, a good point uh, Pierre made today. Yeah, definitely. I think it's something that we've not touched on so much in previous episodes. And I think very important for startups to consider. Um, and as well as that, something that I took away from this conversation was in terms of the digital presence of the company um, and the need to think about product development before thinking about the marketing, as you obviously need to know what product it is that you're marketing, as it can seem pretty tempting to have a front presence without actually knowing what your product is so i thought that was that was a good um way to think about it i completely agree thanks very much to pierre for joining us on q talks the podcast was produced by carl homer from cambridge tv and we would also like to say a big thanks to the team at qtech who've all been working very hard behind the scenes Thank you very much for listening and please do go ahead and rate us or leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or theme or tell us your experiences with applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io slash qtalks.